Hi everyone. I know that you're not seeing this video on Wednesday like you normally do. I apologize for that. I've been going through some things with the Lord and it just took me a little longer this week than normal. Anyway, we are done with our series on Lessons from Joshua and I do have some exciting news to tell you about. Number one, we have just completed and launched a website, so I'll put the the website link in the description below. We are also on Instagram and Facebook, you should know that already, and we are on GodTube. If you like the content of ministries, but you don't like the crap on YouTube when you search, then you can go to GodTube and you can get uplifting and encouraging words from God and Christian and family-friendly content on GodTube. So I'm going to put all those links below. Don't forget to like and subscribe to this channel, Water, Wind, Wine Ministries, and tell all your friends about it. And please don't forget to go to our Facebook page, WWW Ministries, and like there as well, and follow us on Instagram also. So today we're going to start a new series, and this series is called Failure to Launch. I know that sounds like a really funny series, but stick with me and you'll understand what I mean. Welcome back, everybody. Again, I said our series today, we're going to start, it's called Failure to Launch. And what I want to express to you in this series is what I notice with lots of Christians, not just myself, but including myself. I don't do this anymore as much, but I have done it in the past. Now, what do I mean when I talk about Failure to Launch? I'm sure if you are at all connected with pop culture, you've heard of this movie with Matthew McConaughey. In the movie, this grown man lives with his parents and basically mooches off of his parents until um, they hire a woman to come and kind of get him out of the nest. And that's sort of the premise that I want to share with you today about how that relation relates to Christianity. You know, I want to give you a dream that I had um, about, let's see, nine years ago, maybe eight, where I was, I was in a part of the country where it gets about 75 degrees below zero, and in the middle of the day, I decided to take a nap. It was about 30 degrees outside, I believe, and I decided to take a nap, and I laid down, and it was the middle of the day. The room that I was sleeping in was very bright, and it was very cold. I, the bed that I was on was right next to a concrete wall, so it wasn't very well insulated. Anyway, I had this dream. And in this dream, I was given an assignment to go and go to this very seedy motel and take all these books to this seedy motel and distribute the books to the people who were at the motel. This kind of motel, like the, you know, the one-hour rental kind of a thing. And this is what I'm experiencing in this dream that I'm having during the middle of the day. And my assignment includes a couple of key points. One key point is that I had to take with me a partner. And the partner was given to me. And in this dream, this partner was a person I knew in real life. And it was a female, a friend of mine. And she outweighed me by about 400 pounds. She was a very, very, very large um, human in real life and in the dream. But I had to take her with me. The other caveat to this dream was that I had to 
when I got to the motel, when we got to the motel, is that we had to go change our shirts. Now, I was in a dark blue shirt and she was in a dark red shirt. Then the final caveat was that there was a killer that we had to avoid being attacked by during this mission. Okay, so we pull up to the motel and I've got my stack of books and we go into the, this nasty little seedy motel room me and this woman, friend of mine, and I set the books down and we go into the bathroom for some odd reason. And I know a lot about dream prophecy now. I didn't at the time, but just follow along with me in this dream. I go into the bathroom. My friend comes into the bathroom and we like supernaturally reach behind the curtain of the shower and immediately we're both in white shirts. Remember I told you I was in a blue shirt and she was in a red shirt. And now we're both in white, white t-shirts. And we know that this killer is coming. Now, when we get to this room, it is black, pitch, pitch, pitch black, and it is hot in there. Like, like make you suffocate hot in this room. So we come out of the bathroom and we have to lay on the bed to wait for our first person that we're going to give the um, book to. And we know that this killer is, you know, just anywhere. And the, the person that I'm with, she says, well, I have to open the door just a little bit and I'm going to put the little chain. And I said, no, no, he'll see us. Now we don't have our dark shirts on anymore. We have our white shirts and we can be seen in the dark. He'll see us. He'll see us. And she says, I don't care. I have to be able to breathe and I have to be able to see a little bit. And I said, okay. So she opens the door just a little bit and puts the chain there. And now the next step is we're going to lay on the bed. Now there's a concrete wall and then the bed and then the door. Now I lay between the concrete wall and the door and she lays between me and the door. So I'm kind of hidden behind her and I'm doing this, you know, because I can feel now this killer has come in the room and I know it. I can feel him in my heart. I know he's there and I am praying. I can remember in this dream, I was praying in the Holy Ghost and all of a sudden I heard the instruction from the Lord and he said, open your mouth. And so I did, and I said the name of Jesus. That's what I said. I said, Jesus. And all of these light shards came out of my mouth, and immediately I woke up. So I wake up from this dream, and I am scared to pieces. I'm in a soaking wet sweat. And remember, it's like 30 degrees outside. It's not very much warmer in the room that I'm in. And I'm scared out of my mind because this dream, this killer, I, it was just too much. So I went to God and I said, what is this? And he said, listen, he said, this is your message. He says, because everybody on earth is in a temporary place. That's what the hotel represented. And your job is to take the message, like the books, the knowledge that I give you to people who are in um, a less than great place. That's why it had to be a seedy motel. Now, the significance of changing the shirts was changing my own rags to a robe of white, or in this case, a t-shirt of white, representing righteousness. And just like in the dream, in real life, we are a light shining in the darkness. So the darkness can see us because like you can see a white t-shirt in a dark room, the darkness can see you no matter what you do, as long as you have your righteousness on. So I was hiding, remember, behind my friend who was very, very, very obese. And the Lord told me to speak the name of Jesus out of my mouth. And when I asked him what that meant in particular, he said, you have the power in your own mouth to defeat the enemy. But what you do is you constantly hide behind people who you perceive as spiritually larger than you. This woman was physically larger than me in 
person, but God was using this as a metaphor to teach me that I was hiding behind people who I perceived as spiritual giants, okay? So that's what I want to talk to you about today and for the next couple weeks in this Failure to Launch series. What we find is that Christians hide behind super Christians. They hide behind professional Christians. What do I mean by that? I mean that if you say need a prayer, you're going to go to somebody who maybe has a professional ministry. If you need healing, you're going to go find a healing ministry coming through town. If you need, you know, help with getting dealing with abuse, you're going to go find Joyce Meyer and her events coming through town. If you need a good solid Bible study, you're not going to sit down with the Lord and go through Bible study on your own. You're going to go to Beth Moore and you're going to go to her Bible studies. And so now, do I think there's anything wrong with that? I don't. And I'm going to get into why not later on. But what I want to express to you is that this phenomenon is, first of all, it's not new to the church. And second of all, this is failure to launch. This is not where God wants you. God wants his own personal relationship with each and every person on this planet, starting, of course, with believers. What we find is that that's not what people want. You can see this all the way back when the children of Israel left Egypt. One thing that the children of Israel did was at the bottom of Mount Sinai, when Moses went up to speak to the Lord and get the Ten Commandments, they came back. he came back down and said, God wants to talk to you, so ready yourself. And they said, no, we don't want to talk to him face to face. We'll talk to you. You talk to him. And see, that's what people have done. They did the same thing when they were already a nation and God didn't want them to have a king, but they cried out. They wanted a king like all the nations around them. They wanted king, a king and God gave them Saul and it turned out to be horrible and awful. See, God doesn't want there to be anybody between you and him. He doesn't want you to have to go find Joyce Meyer or go find Beth Moore or go find me or go find anybody, any preacher in your time of need. God wants to be the one who meets your need in your time of need. Now, did he put these people in place for a reason? Yes, he did. We're going to get to that later in the series. I am absolutely not saying stop watching these videos because you need to have your own relationship with God. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying stop going to church because you know you don't need to because you have your own relationship with God or stop watching Joyce Meyer or stop doing Beth Moore Bible studies. I'm not saying that. I think those all have their place and we're going to get to where those places are. But what I am saying is that you need to be in a place where you are building your own relationship with God. And what that looks like, you know, with watching my videos, with watching other people's videos or TV shows or doing their Bible studies or what have you, you need to take everything that I say, everything that they say, everything that you read that is not of scripture and even scripture, and you need to take it to the Lord. You need to say, Lord, I saw this today on the Failure to Launch series, or I saw this today on the Lessons to Joshua series. What is the truth? These are the scriptures that she was referring to. What is the truth about it? I learned this in the Beth Moore series. Now, what is the truth? What do you say about this? Is, is she right? Is this right? You don't need to take anything anybody says, period, regardless of who it is, except, of course, Jesus Christ, for the truth. You need to examine that. That's called rightly dividing the word of truth. We're going to get to that in just a second. Now, let's talk about what people need to do. Once you come into the body of Christ, what is the first stage of failing to launch. The very first stage is not completing the task in Matthew 28. Now, 
First of all, this task has been really overshadowed by some other things in the body of Christ. Follow along with me. I'm reading from the New King James Version. This is Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Matthew 28, verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So what we have in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, is we have our Lord Jesus Christ, after he's already been crucified and resurrected, just before the ascension, he says to his disciples, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and teach them all the things that I've commanded you. So this is not what the church has done. The church has not made disciples by and large. The church has made converts. Why have they done that? The reason the church, I believe, has made converts is because it's easier. Because there is less involvement personally with a convert than there is with a disciple. So what we haven't done is we haven't taught people how to act like Christians. We have just gotten people saved by and large, but we haven't taught people how to act. So what you have is you have a dominant population of Christianity going around asking professional Christians to do all the heavy lifting. Okay, and that's what's been perpetuated throughout the life of Christianity. It was perpetuated in the Catholic Church, the Protestants, the Lutherans, everybody. And I mean to extremes. The preachers would not allow the lay people to have the scriptures. They wouldn't allow them to know what the Bible said and so on and so forth. But that's not the way that God intended it. God intended it to be a personal relationship so that each person can know not only how to handle their own life, but how to make disciples based on their own gifts, and how to have their own relationship with the Lord God. Now, I am aware that most of the people who are watching this video believe that they have a relationship with God, and I bet you do. I bet you are saved. But my guess is that you haven't been taught how to walk out what the Lord has dictated us to walk out. What do I mean? There are three very specific things in what I just read in Matthew 28. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to make disciples of all the nations. We're supposed to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we're supposed to teach them all things that Jesus Christ taught us to observe. How many people have you baptized? Right? How many people have you made into disciples? Right? How many people have you taught how to observe the things that Jesus Christ taught you to observe? That's a question only you can answer. And so my guess is that you're watching this video because of the name, because you are subscribed to my channel, and thank you very much for watching it. But I'm going to press you to go a little bit farther. So let's talk about what every Christian in general has been ordered to do besides in Matthew 28. What exactly do we teach people when we disciple them? What's the very first step? Well, the first step is to get them saved. And what does the Bible say? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.18 that God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. I'm going to put it on the screen. Read along with me, please. Again, 2 Corinthians 5.18. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us 
the ministry of reconciliation. So he's given to every saved person the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, you are responsible for getting other people into the kingdom and not just getting them into the kingdom, but you are responsible for discipling them. In what way will you disciple them? Well, that depends on your particular talent. I, in particular, disciple people who are already in the body of Christ, who are fairly mature, already in the body of Christ, and I take them to the next step. In other words, I'm not usually called to people who have just come into the body of Christ. That seems to be another joint operation than mine. Mine is a calling to mature Christians who can handle meat of the word and not just milk. Okay, your particular calling is first to get people saved and second to disciple them in the same deeds that you have been taught by Jesus to do. I have a family member who's very, very, very good at believing God for financial blessing. She has impressed me over the years many, many times and she has been given a particular operation. Now, there's not a formula. You can't go to God and just plug in numbers and this and that. But what she can do is when she gets people into the kingdom, she can say, hey, if you ever struggle with finances, this is what God instructed me to do. And so you take it to God and you see if he confirms that in your heart. And then let's do this. So just like Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. In other words, you follow people as long as they follow Christ and with what they do that matches up with what Christ did or what he taught them. You have to make sure that when you are being discipled that you are taking what your mentor says and taking it to the Lord to see if what your mentor says is right. That brings me to my second point. So with discipleship, you have to learn to rightly divide the word of truth, whether you are doing the discipling or whether you are being discipled. And you should be in stage of discipling and being discipled for the rest of your Christian course, period. That never ends. You should always be a disciple of Jesus Christ and you should always be discipling other disciples of Jesus Christ, okay? And so this is not clean. This is very personal. This requires work. It requires effort. So what do I mean by rightly dividing the word of truth? Well, read along with me in 2 Timothy 2.15 and we'll understand what rightly dividing the word of truth is. 2 Timothy 2.15 Be diligent to present yourself approved to God a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So by the fact that God said that we have to rightly divide the word of truth, that indicates to us that we can wrongly divide the word of truth. What does that mean? That means taking scripture out of context, not taking it to God. You know, there there's a, a sect in Christianity that says, that I actually grew up around, that says that women aren't supposed to wear makeup because of some things in, in Corinthians talking about braiding of the hair and letting your adornment be inward and not outward. Well, I would say to those people, they do not understand the heart of God. We're not going to get into that because, but I will say this. At the end of that verse, it actually says, let the women not put on clothes in church. So let's take it in context. I, I believe that that verse in particular has been vastly misused and abused because it was not rightly divided. And so somebody decided they were going to control women and use this verse to do that. Not what it means at all. If your barn needs paint, paint it. If you need makeup, wear makeup. Period. The end. 
Okay, you have to rightly divide the word of truth. Okay, that's in 2 Timothy 2.15. Now, the next step in discipleship is you have to teach people to pray, which means you have to pray yourself. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, it says that you have to pray without ceasing. Right? 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. If you don't know how to pray, how are you going to pray without ceasing? And how are you going to teach other people to pray without ceasing? Now, does pray without ceasing mean all of your waking hours you pray? Well, it can't mean that because if you are going to pray without ceasing, then when would you talk? When would you spread the gospel? When would you eat? Yeah, I mean, you can't do that. What he's talking about, and that's Paul that wrote that, what he's talking about in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 when he says pray without ceasing is he is talking about having an attitude of prayer. In other words, don't ever just stop praying for a day, for a week, for a year, even, you know, for a few hours. I do this all the time. Like, I'll be thinking about stuff, and I'll be meditating on the Word, and speaking the Word out, and God gives me revelation about it, and then I take it to Him and I ask Him. When I go ride my horses, I pray about that. When my husband goes to work, I pray about that. I pray in the morning. I pray all the time, but I don't pray constantly, if that makes sense to you. Like, my mouth does other things besides prayer, but I'm constantly in communication with God. That's never, ever going to end, okay? And that's what Paul is talking about in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 when he says, pray without ceasing. So that's the second thing that we really fail to, to teach people when we get them converted. We are not making them disciples. And if we taught them to pray, if we taught them to rightly divide the word of truth, they would be much closer to being disciples of Jesus Christ than they are right now, than most of the body of Christ is right now. The third thing is that we have to we have to get to a place in our own lives so that we may teach others to come to a place in their lives to preach or teach the oracles of God. I want to give you the dictate, the mandate given to us by God through Paul, well, I believe Paul, in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. The writer of Hebrews is giving this admonition to the church. Read along with me. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So what Paul or the writer, we don't technically know that it was Paul, but we all think it was, um, what he was saying to these Jews was that they constantly needed somebody to bottle feed them. You know, I've had two children. Um, my husband and I combined have five, have five children, and we both have been around babies that you bottle feed. And it is very cumbersome. It's wonderful. I'm not, I'm not saying don't feed your children. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that it's very cumbersome and, and, it, and it is necessary for their stage. They can't hold the bottle. They, it takes them a while to where they can hold the bottle or where they can hold it up so they can drink out of it. So you basically have to do it for them. There are, you know, bottle props and stuff, but that's cheating. You basically have to do it for them. And so we all kind of accept this with babies. Now, if I see a five-year-old, and I have seen this, a five-year-old out in public shopping and the mother hands a five-year-old a bottle, the first thing I think is, 
you need to be a better mother because that child is taking advantage of you. And that's exactly what's happening in the body of Christ. The babes, the ones who get only milk, are taking advantage of those who are professional Christians, of those who have actually given their lives and their hearts to Jesus Christ to learn the things that they've learned. And so the people who don't want to take the time to do that, they are taking advantage of the people who do take the time to do that. Now, something very important in that series of verses from Hebrews that I just read you. Paul says that these people who are babes, who only consume milk, are those who have not, by reason of use, had their senses exercised to discern good and evil. In other words, they haven't used their senses enough to be able to know good and evil. Okay, I'm going to give you an example and I'm going to wrap it up for today. I have um, a relationship with someone in my life, obviously, who's very, very dear to me and very close to me. And this person called me recently and asked me for guidance in prayer. Now, I didn't hear them when they first got on the phone. It was very early in the morning. And I thought they said, can you pray for me? Now, this person is older than me. This person has had a longer course with Jesus Christ than I have. This person has received way more teaching for a lot more years than I have. Actually asked me to help them understand how to pray. And I misunderstood them. But anyway, the point is, that is really what provoked this video series. That I perceived when this person first spoke to me, that this person who is physically older than me, who is spiritually older than me, was coming to me to ask to, to pray. And I immediately rose up with a little bit of, uh-uh, you need to know how to pray for this situation because those people... I mean, God's going to bless them and he's going to get get their prayer answered and everything. Whether you come to me or you go to whoever or you do it yourself, he's going to make it happen because God loves them. But you need to understand how to pray because this person is the only Jesus those people are seeing at the moment. And if that's the only person that they're seeing that represents Jesus, then that person has to be equipped to meet their need through the Lord Jesus Christ at the moment. They can't wait till they can find somebody else, a, a spiritual giant, a professional Christian to hide behind. And that's where I was, I was mistaken when the phone call came through. I thought they were asking me to pray, and so I did correct them. But they were asking me for guidance, which I gave them and taught them how to pray. But my point is, is that they didn't know how to really. And so they hadn't been taught. They hadn't been discipled correctly. So that's what we're going to get into in the next couple of weeks. We're going to get into these things, to go and make disciples, to baptize, and to teach them all things that he himself taught us. In particular, we're going to talk about the ministry of reconciliation. We're going to talk about rightly dividing the word of truth. We're going to talk about praying without ceasing. And we're going to talk about the oracles of God. So I encourage you to watch this entire video series and don't sit on your butt anymore. Don't be complacent anymore. Don't rely on professional Christians to do the heavy lifting. So I encourage you to learn how to launch, how to be the kind of Christian that God wants you to be, his disciple. All right? Jesus loves you. We'll see you next time.